welcome to Fantastic Voyage, the David Bowie podcast. I'm Jesse. I'm Justin. And I'm John. Today we're talking about the Glass Spider Tour. Uh, we have just begun to talk about it off camera, and oh, oh, we already that, we shot a better in, episode yeah, than what yeah. you're going to hear. Cutting room floor stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Justin's here because you were there. Uh, in when was the concert in, in Winnipeg? Oh, funny you should ask. I almost forgot. Oh, you you are wearing it. Oh, yeah. you got the shirt on. Uh, nice. The date should be on there. It's on their side. So- okay, <laughs> this is but we're fact checking on a T-shirt. August nineteenth. We, we don't need Google. No. Nope. Yeah, this is analog all the way. <laughs> so was that? Uh, yeah, August nineteenth, uh, nineteen eighty-seven. Uh, our dad was there too in the parking lot. He was at Garbage Hill. Or Garbage. Okay, yeah, that's that's like a very close venue. <laughs> Next to a venue, if and he was playing me the tape, he was recording it on a ghetto blaster, and uh, it just wasn't as exciting the next day when you were front row. Yeah, <laughs> and that's another big point. You were front row. Yeah, and we were talking about earlier. What, what song is it? Where the the girl, the one that Bowie was dating briefly for a period. You were kind of like right next to her in the crowd. You were like third row. She was first row. Like that's that's incredible. You were right. Yeah, up. I didn't notice her being placed and planted. Not. Ne- next to me but very extremely close because i remember the they came down and, and pulled her out of the audience and we we're like holy shit this lucky girl and the girls were all jealous this is for screaming. bang bang right yeah and it had us going until he started bending her and then mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well even just we for, went, wait a minute <laughs> even just for me like i was confused i watched this this dvd for the first time last night and for I the first even, time yeah oh shit yeah. this is good this is gonna was, be a good episode I someone was, who was there someone who saw it for the first time and someone who's yeah. like I've, i'm into it so yeah yeah it had me kind of confused too i'm like is she you know it, it, t- it takes a while for you to kind of finally piece together once they start doing the acrobatics okay yeah she's in on the act but yeah i was fooled for the first minute or whatever yeah so they pull out uh well he kind of is getting fake grabbed by you know, people in the audience in the the intro to Bang Bang, and then eventually one of the fans gets up on the stage and they let her up. And yeah, it, it totally had me fooled until, yeah, the end. I remember even like rewinding it the first time, being like, what's going on here? <laughs> and then when you get to the end, it's a giveaway. That it's... Well, what, when they pull her away, don't they say rock stars aren't able to date ordinary people? Is that part of the... Uh... Is that like there's a little vignette before that song? Is that that song? I can't really uh, remember. I can't remember the vignettes exactly which ones are before which. Oh, that's well, the, kind vi- of a... the vignettes are hard to follow. Uh, that was like a common critique of the tour. They, they're not maybe as necessary. I mean, I feel like there was maybe some kind of a theme that he was trying to get at, but the point doesn't really get across. But Ray Davies' reference to ordinary people from the soap opera. Good, good song. Oh yeah, I, I recently the, just gave I you that LP because I didn't play it enough. The yeah. Smokey Robinson one. It's very, uh, you really got a hold on me. I, I don't know if you guys are aware, but he was in town for two and a half days, I think. Okay. So we were all going downtown looking for him, and uh, he ended up on uh, Inkster in Arlington at a comic shop, which is walking distance Sticks from this podcast. From where we are right <laughs> are you, are you now. Are talking about Sticks comic book Sticks? Yeah. Was the it one Sticks? That, the one that Grandpa, yeah. used, Grandpa to walk used to take us there. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. He went to Sticks. That's yeah, right he, by Food Fair. Yeah, and he mentioned it at, at the concert. He said, uh, I love your comic show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So we are a stone's throw from there, like, as we speak. Like, Johnny, we're at your pay- well, place right there's now. A, there's a meat deli that's right next to it that I uh, I walk to, and it, it kind of takes me back to, you know, back in the day when Grandpa and, right. Grandma and Grandpa lived there. But yeah, I, I actually walk past this. I walk to this store. 
essentially. Oh, and we um, could walk to it right now if we wanted to. Yeah, we should we film from yeah. <laughs> ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That's uh, incredible. I did not know that. that. Just blew my mind. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah, because we were all looking for him downtown. And he ended up in our neighborhood. And, oh, that's the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. all the irony in that. <laughs> you should have done uh, Uncle Arthur as an ode to. <laughs> So to the store. The Glass Spider tour ran from May to November 1987. He did 86 total shows, which is quite a bit. Um, quite a bit given the setup too. Yeah, so <laughs> well maybe we should talk about the set design. So there were three sets. There were three spiders and three full stages because uh, they had to set up the one in the next city. It had to be during one concert. They were overlapping. They were overlapping, right. Because apparently it took, I don't know about this, but 300 people four days to put up a set. Um, But apparently 43 trucks per set uh, were taken or were needed to move the the spider, which was 60 feet tall by 64 feet wide and featured over 20,000 light fixtures. So... He's gone big for this for this tour. Un- unprecedented for him, and I think unprecedented just in music in general at this point. Like nothing had really ever been done like this. At least nothing that was on my radar. When I was reading about this tour, they were kind of saying, "Yeah, this was like the first really, really, really big tour." I think this is what he wanted to do with Diamond Dogs, but now had the money. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and including yeah. the, the intro was Glass Spider is kind of future legend. Right. Yeah. No, totally. And simple. I want to say, like the concepts, little vignettes. They kind of seem to depict some sort of an urban decay type scenario. Now it's maybe a little vague as to what they're specifically trying to get <laughs> through at. that eighties filter. Yeah, <laughs> he, he maybe fully fleshed it out as an album concept better on like outside, but you can kind of almost see that, real like the, in its earliest genesis here, maybe. Well, he did recruit uh, Spaz Attack, the dancer. He's from the Devo videos. Okay. Well, and there's a guy from the. Uh, I can't remember the name from the Talking Heads video, uh, Cross-Eyed and Painless. It was like a a street dancer, like an authentic street dancer. So he had like classically trained dancers and he also had like street dancers. This was a very talented set too. Yeah. Tony Tony Basil was the one choreographing the whole thing. And she was also involved with Talking Heads, the Once in a Lifetime music video. And Diamond Dogs. And And he also, I want to say, brought back uh, I can't remember the name, but whoever was the, the person that really designed the set for Diamond Dogs. There's somebody who's back in the mix. Someone who's back Went in into the fold this. that was involved with Diamond Dogs, yeah. So Bowie was, yeah, uh, really excited for this tour. He said something like he just did nothing but eat, sleep, and, you know, basically work on this tour. And the rehearsals were very intense, like 10-hour days. He said he slept all day Sunday so that he can get back to it. And it really took a toll on him, uh he said before the tour even started now like it's you can tell that he like thins out towards the end of the tour from just i guess the physical demand that it took but he said that he was drained before it even started just because of this idea he had and the concept and making sure i mean yeah if you're directing this entire show that's going to take a lot on you when you're not only the creative force but the logistical force behind it too uh yeah he also put in Speaking of having the money to do so, he put in ten million of his own dollars in nineteen eighty seven to making these sets. So he had a lot of skin in the game. I think he got a little bit of uh, backlash because he teamed up with uh, Pepsi, right, for this tour. They gave him some money. He did some kind of thing with Tina Turner, a commercial or something right. like that. 
Yeah, based on Weird Science, which as a kid it was already that movie was already a couple of years old, and we we're like, oh, that's what so like two years ago. <laughs> so, so yeah, he got some criticism. You know, he's the big sellout tour. You know, he's being funded by the big corporation now. But I feel like it's just it was his only option to because he would not be able be able to fund this by himself. He he put up ten million of his own dollars. This this obviously cost more than ten million dollars. Yeah, right? each so. each set apparently cost about ten million dollars. Okay. So there were three <laughs> sets, and apparently I don't know if one of those three was Junior Bug, but there may have been a fourth, or maybe it was just the third one. But there was a Junior Bug that was a smaller version for indoor venues. Oh. He tried to he couldn't get the big ones into like Madison Square Garden, uh, so yeah, they had to make a smaller scaled down version. And there's actually footage of junior bug and it shows up better on tv because you can see it all like we're watching the i don't know what show this is but it's the one from the dvd and it's it's an outdoor show i think and you could you can't see the top of the spider but in the the junior bug you can see more on tv i mean obviously the big spider isn't gonna have the same impact on a dvd as it does in person uh, as you can attest to i'm sure well my tickets were initially nosebleeds uh, back then, you had to sit on the phone and try to get through. Wait till the operator picked it up and uh, give your dad's credit card number, and then you'd either wait for the tickets in in the mail <laughs> or get them <laughs> delivered somewhere. But yeah, they were nosebleed tickets, and when my friend and I went to the stadium, we saw this big gate open up as we were walking to our portal, and all of a sudden, all these people started running in, and we we're like. Well, shit, nobody's stopping them, so let's join the crowd. <laughs> and we ended up, like, right dead center, right on the ground. No chairs. That's, that's incredible. I remember the first time you ever told me that. I was, this is years ago, and I said, Justin, I, I just discovered Never Let Me Down and Glass Spider, and I'm in love. And I was saying, like, oh, there's this one moment, I think it's during time, where there's someone right in that front row, and you're just kind of smiling, like, looking at me, like, waiting for me to finish, like, yeah, just get through this story. And I'm like, I couldn't imagine, like, basically being sung to by Bowie. And you're like, yeah, he did that for me. I was front row, and he did all the Mad Men. (laughs) And I was just like, I just, like... And I was 14. (laughs) Yeah, impressionable. And the the fact that you were so close, too, because I know, like, Jesse, you were just saying, uh, you know... The TV doesn't do it justice. Obviously. No, it, it, but, it, it can't. But yeah. I did hear that like the DVD is better than if you were sitting in the nosebleeds because this is such an elaborate set, so many people, and they didn't have like the TV screens like they do now that kind of show you what's going on. You need 80 on. inches if so, you want to... Yeah. <laughs> inside joke, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, like, let's say like there's 60,000 people at the concert. If you were in seat 60,000 or 55, you know, however distance you were, if you were really far back, you kept, were kind of just trying to figure out, like, what the hell is going on? They couldn't quite tell, but by all accounts, the smaller venues were, were the best shows because everybody got to see what was happening. Right. Well, like, is that, that's always the case. Well, but but what's interesting, too, is, like, you know, we're talking, like, okay, the technological event, they didn't have the screens yet, but there are a lot of technological firsts. Like, I Justin think, and I were watching this, like, I'm going, okay, he's got wireless microphones for that. That's got to be the first time. It, I don't remember that, even on Serious yeah, Moonlight, that, was that wasn't That was thing. new, and I think there actually were some, like, not huge screens, but there were screens at some venues in order to show what was going oh, on. Oh, so, okay. But they, not like today, not like a certain Where it's basement. standard practice, yeah, yeah like, every... 
arena show you go to, they have them. But this was right. kind of one of the. This is when Arena Rock was really starting to take off, right? Is around this, yeah. this and stadium and stadiums. Live Aid just a couple of year, a he, couple of years. Ago. Let's keep in mind this is stadiums too. Like stadiums and arenas are different beasts. Like to yeah. fill a, to fill an arena, which like okay for the. North American listeners, you'll know this, but that's like you know fifteen to twenty thousand people, max. Like for the even the biggest ones, so you know you take out a quarter of the bowl because that's behind the stage. Yeah, and then you add the floor back in. You're getting basically capacity that you would for a hockey game or something. But a, a stadium, like an outdoor venue, you, like you know some of them in the states are like a hundred thousand. Well, just under like hundred thousand. Ann Arbor, Michigan's over a hundred. Right? Moonlight was Winnipeg's first stadium rock show. There you go. And was this the second or close to it? Or did... uh, I think the Pope came in between. That's <laughs> <laughs> was huge back then. <laughs> what did he sing? <laughs> <laughs> Loving the alien. <laughs> but yeah, when uh, when we me and my buddy got to the ground and we realized you could see the scope of the stage and stage in front of you, and we could the spider was it was all dark. We could see the legs, and that was impressive alone but we had no idea what that spider was going to do and all the uh, sensory <laughs> things that he was going to pull off in the show mm-hmm. which was just amazing but we had the georgia satellites opening okay uh, you guys yeah. even know no what song they had no <laughs> uh keep your hands to yourself okay it's a it's a southern uh rock <laughs> gunshot wedding song oh, and they goodness. had one hit with it it was so surreal to see them opening and of course they played that song for like 20 minutes <laughs> and then we had Duran Duran yeah well they were big with uh, they had just done the View to a Kill soundtrack uh, they, were doing, they, were, they were doing that when they were opening yeah. and the Bowie was asked to play right the villain, I didn't the even think of that yeah, yeah but yeah. went to Christopher Walken and um, yeah Max Zorin that, now that would have been great because Grace Jones was the henchwoman in that. Grace and David Jones together in that movie would have been awesome. He can't escape View to a Kill in there's 1987. A, there's a lot of weird connections to Bowie's past in this tour because did you hear about the Berlin show where they, they did it like against the wall and like the the East Berliners weren't allowed to watch it. It was like he was performing in West Berlin and then East Berlin was behind him and apparently they were like tear gassed. Because they they were like all trying to listen to the concert at the wall, and they were like, you know, the authorities uh, came and put an end to it. That? That's awful. Well, <laughs> well, apparently, and it wound up being like a defining moment in like the the pro unification kind of well, thing a that happened. Years later, Two years later, and, and yeah. apparently that was like one of the lead things. Bowie like, brought the wall the, down. <laughs> you know, obviously Bowie didn't do it single handedly, but apparently this was like one of the like key defining moments where they were like, "Hey, fuck, enough is enough." Like we're like this is crazy, right. and it was. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think. Two years later, was this 87 when the wall 80, came down? 89. 89, yeah. so yeah. It's just crazy that that's where Bowie recorded and all that, and it's everything comes full circle in his career sometimes. It's kind of crazy how often that happens. That wasn't the only controversy on this tour either, and it wasn't the only tear gassing in Rome, apparent. Or no, it was in... Oh, I've got it written down where it was. Um, yeah, so it was in Rome. Uh, there was fans that couldn't get tickets rioted and there was tear gas and he's singing and there's tear gas everywhere mm-hmm. apparently and then there was a bomb scare on his plane leaving the airport in Rome which allegedly was a hoax done by the chief of police who just wanted to meet Bowie and get his autograph so like the plane had to be brought back <laughs> and 
they like I, I was kind of going like what well, as I'm reading this, but then Bowie made a comment on it, and he said like, well, yeah, it's Rome. I get it. I, 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 I guess it actually happened. I don't know. I took that one with a grain of salt a bit. Uh, and yeah, another kind of tragic thing, uh, putting the, the the spider up a uh, light technician or something fell to his death. Looking at that right now in Peg's book, yeah, in Florence. And then, then the next day, somebody fell and didn't die. So, and then, well, hey, and then Bowie, I forgot about this, Bowie was scared that he was going to get killed in Ireland, because, uh, well, there was a lot of unrest in the 80s, uh, in, in Ireland, obviously, and it, his, he played Slane Castle, and he was, apparently they dressed up, like, everybody, like, Bowie for a while. So that, so that kind of sniper <laughs> was gonna yeah decoys basically. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a pretty good fan. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll take a bullet for you. Yeah, so a bit of controversy on this uh, on this tour. And then all the the big one that made a lot of headlines at the time is he was accused of giving somebody AIDS, which I think they kind of they, they shut that one down quickly. But yeah, there's a lot of controversy. Well, that was the height of. Uh, AIDS in the 80s so it was uh, anybody who was flamboyant was a target for the media mm-hmm. okay yeah they maybe watched the hunger before they accused him too because I remember they, I've read that it, they claimed that he had attacked them in a Dracula like fashion that's how, <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. how so it was it, National yeah. Enquirer no, no word of a lie I remember the headlines they just reenacted that yeah. <laughs> that scene from yeah, the, the hunger that boy was right next to the article <laughs> <clears throat> Duran Duran were, were were stoned as fuck by the way I remember that Nick Rhodes tripping on his way to get to the piano and he had people helping him <laughs> really <laughs> oh wow yeah yikes and I, I was supposed to be stoned but we brought some hash but we we got scared because we saw the security so we hid it in a plant at Polo Park and then when we got there everybody started popping their cans and making hash pipes out of it and smoking around <laughs> <laughs> alright so should we get into the the songs maybe a little bit? Sure, or yeah. yeah, what what else can we talk about with this tour? Um, we talked about the set. We talked about the costume off mic. Maybe we should just bring that up again. He has he comes out in the big red suit. He looks great. Then he makes a little station to station uh, nod. Yeah. That the black suit with the diagonal stripes that he wore in Lazarus too. Well, and this I, is that. Sorry, just a go totally off topic we, we've got the dvd on right now that was the scene i was telling you about i was like that's the person who was oh. in the front row <laughs> justin yeah. i can't believe yeah. imagine <laughs> being there just imagine and like, that was you when i put it on a, a couple hours ago and justin came over uh we were talking about the intro I mean, Alomar coming out. I mean, first of all, I'd, I'd heard the CD before I'd watched the tour, so I assumed that was Frampton that was shredding like that. Right. And I thought, well... Yeah, you would think, yeah. And it's kind of funny, like, oh, he, he brings Frampton out for the world to see again. Hey, look, he's great, but then he's yelling, shut up, as he's doing his guitar. I'm like, what a reintroduction to the world, a bit of a you know, slap in the face. But and another reason why I assumed it was Frampton is because we both kind of concurred that we never really heard Alomar play like that before. Right, He's yeah. like the guy that does, he's like, the, the top... solid rhythm guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's the guy that was like, I don't like any of that experimental shit they're doing on Berlin I'm just you know he played the music for the clubs the top 40 the billboard type stuff but he's shredding like uh, like I'd never heard Alomar play like that before what an intro 
Yeah, it's great. And in the video, that was when he had his torn, he tore his knee up. He had a torn ACL or something like that. So he called himself Mad Max, limping Mad Max or something he like that. He does look like somebody on a Mad Max. Okay, so yeah. I, did, I didn't know that. I thought it was part of the Yeah, act. he made it a part of the act. So when he went to his uh, physiotherapy or something, he said, can I just get a bunch of, like, give me like a metal brace. And do you have a back brace that's metal too? Like, he ended up getting, like, a full metal outfit because he was thinking Mad Max. Yeah. Which Bowie probably picked up a co- edition of from Styx Comics. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the Mad Max thing, too, like I said, mm-hmm. this is almost like, it's maybe a bit of a stretch, but like I said, like, kind of proto-outside. Like, the seeds are kind of being planted, but just, like, the, the the set designs and how some of the people are dressed, it's like, you can see maybe the wheels in motion. That's kind bit. of industrial, almost. Mm-hmm. That, can... And that guitar intro totally was. It and... was just, like, noise. He sounded like Baloo, almost, or... Closer to him than himself. And who does he bring back for outside one last hurrah? Mm Alamar. So, there we go. And then they do, what do they do? So they do up the hill back. Well, they do it. Bowie doesn't. Bowie's not out there for that. He's introduced during Glass Spider, and what an entrance Okay, yeah, well, being a super fan of the audience, all the little nuances, the shut up. Yeah, from It's No Game. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I, but we didn't know where he was yet. (laughs) We Mm. had no idea where he was going to come from. Which was just fantastic. That minds were blown when he started descending from the the ceiling. And I kind of like the the dancers are the ones and the backup singers are the ones that do up the hill backwards. Yeah, and it's great. <laughs> I guess well, it's like an eighties rap. Yeah, it, totally. Yeah, and it's, then he comes down to Glass Spider, and then gets right into that. Gets right into the the rest of the. He does day, Glass Spider, and then it's like a day in day out. I want to say is is the next one. He does a few from the from the album because I think Bang Bang is pretty early at least on the at least on the CD or whatever on Spotify um you know what there was a full video up on YouTube of this concert like basically the DVD was up there and I had it saved in my watch later for you know the last year or two like Mm -hmm. I've seen it a dozen times probably but I haven't seen it in a few years and of course like I'm clicking on it and it just takes me to the next video. I'm going, what the hell? And it's it, they deleted it, but they don't tell you they deleted it, so that you look. <laughs> so then I'm, I've been trying to piece it together the last two days and watching it. So my the order is totally out of proportion for me. I have no idea what what's going on. Well, up the hill backwards is a great opener too. Like he, he definitely had a scary monsters on the mind when he was doing this tour. And I just found out today when I was skimming through Nick Pegg's section on the Glass Spider tour in his book, The Complete David Bowie, and he, he mentions that uh, Scream Like a Baby and Because You're Young were being rehearsed. Yeah. They, they didn't make the live set, but it's just, that's incredible to me. Those are just two completely, I mean, they're side two songs from Scary Monsters. I mean, he does Fashion. most of the ones from side eight. He does side, uh, Up the Hill Backwards, he kind of does It's No Game, and he does Fashion. I guess that's it, but... doesn't do Ashes to Ashes. He does the title track, though. Mm-hmm. He does, yeah. I can almost kind of see Ashes to Ashes maybe doesn't quite fit with the rest of the ones that he picked. I can maybe kind of see why he left it. I didn't it. think he should have uh, never let me down the song. I, that was a little weak. It's a great song, but I think to promote a tour, that was a video and everything. I, I, I just thought it was... Uh, well, and that one doesn't fit the theme of that album or this tour as much as... Yeah, I just I, it's always perplexed me, that one. It's a great song. It is, yeah. It's just the way he promoted it, I thought... Uh, Beat of Your Drum would have been more of a tour promo. Yeah, that would that would fit Which more. Which I, I think, think it's kind of a blend did, he, of uh, uh, Sons of the Silent Age and Rebel Rebel for Chorus. Which one? Beat of Your Drum? Yeah. Do you listen to it? Okay. 
Hold it too hard. Da, 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 da. I like the beat of your drum. <laughs> well, yeah, and then the repetitive guitar well, lick. Yeah, I think he he was doing beat of your drum for the tour, but it's not on the DVD. I think it might be on the CD. It's on the live album. Yeah. yeah. Well, and he cut a few that, of the songs. He cut uh, zeros early, but I think I looked in the Winnipeg set was he did zeros. I don't recall zeros. Okay. Um, but zeros shouldn't have been cut, if you ask me. That's a good one. <laughs> That's a great song. Um, yeah, I. If, I, if we're getting into to highlights in terms of what tracks I think are great, Bang Bang just absolutely cooks on this. Yeah. I was listening to it on the way over here, and I was thinking, okay, I'm going to focus in on the songs that I've got like a 20-minute drive to get here. Okay, I've got, got to pick like four songs that I'm not as familiar with from this tour. And I'm going, I'm going to listen to like this rendition of China Girl, this rendition of Let's Dance and Modern Love and Young Americans. And I just... Bang Bang came on and I listened to it and then I was like fuck it I'm listening to this one again I just listened to it like three times in a row and I thought man he really really got into it yeah. and mm-hmm. I talked on the last episode about how it's a it like the song the Iggy song itself is a redo of Fascination and Funky Music and they add the lick into it at the beginning of the oh, intro really? yeah they add the the Fascination part seen the video for Iggy's video for Bang Bang? I haven't, no. <laughs> Do yourself a favor. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll send a link in the comments. <laughs> what? I don't know if it's still on, to be honest. It's, 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 it's out there. <laughs> what Bang Bang made more sense, because when we did the Never Let Me Down episode, I was kind of like lukewarm on that song, but I can see why he was doing it now, because it, it came to life during the live oh, performance. It's so good. Yeah. And he had a vision. I mean, and that's the thing with David Bowie, is he's not just a studio is it, musician, he's a performer. That's another thing we were talking about. Yeah. He's obviously, he's way more James Brown than he is Steely Dan. Yeah. He's not doing things strictly for the studio, so when I listen to the cassette tape of Never Let Me Down, I'm a little underwhelmed by Bang Bang, but when I was watching the performance, I went... Oh, that's where he was going with the song. It just it kind of came to life for me a bit more. So I, I have a newfound appreciation for Bang Bang after watching the DVD. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how some songs just really click live. Um, some other ones, the Sons of the Silent Age is a great rendition. the The dance is cool. They got one of the dancers. She's in a like a ski ski boots ski boots, and I don't know how the hell she's doing it. <laughs> But it's really, really cool. Peter Frampton does, well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> that's why they were dating. The yeah. fact that she could do those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fram- you know, I, yeah, I'd love to hear Bowie wail that chorus. I, out, I was Frampton, a little let down in, in person with that. I, I was bet. waiting yeah. for that that Bowie wail, and all of a sudden the seventies <laughs> Afro guy starts singing it, and he doesn't do it with the same gusto. He does it pretty good, but I would have liked to have heard Bowie do. Yeah. Well, that's one of my favorite atmospheric Bowie songs. I think when we did the Heroes episode, I talked about how that was a song where I kind of look like the Maxwell logo when I'm listening to yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting is Bowie kind of looked like that too, because on the DVD, he's doing this outdoors in, in Montreal, right? And his hair is kind of moving like the like the logo in that. I'm like, this is he, that's another added benefit of doing the outdoor stadium shows is his hair looks so great when the, the wind's blowing against it and it stays in place. And he, yeah. just, he looks badass the, the whole time. His look is just awesome here. Like, You know, at first look, it's like, uh, he's got the 80s hair and everything. But like 
fuck, is it good hair? But it's almost kind of like his Aladdin Sane haircut, too. It's not too far off. We were saying that at the show. We were like, oh, if he dyed that orange, he'd almost be Ziggy again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is funny, because now I think that's another thing that people are criticizing him for on this tour, is he's late, like, the mullet was associated with lame stuff at this point. But when he was doing this in the 70s, it was cutting edge. I've seen... Uh, worse mullets than this, trust me. Yeah, well, and the, and the, <laughs> He's pulling it off. Well, and the front looks a little too cool to be... Yeah. It's not your typical mullet. No. You know, it's got a little bit of a Bowie flair to it. And one thing that I thought when I was watching, too, is that, like, despite the fact that this is a very eccentric set, I thought that he remained smooth the whole time. And then I was actually reading... Uh, there was a contemporary review at the time. They kind of summed it up better than me. It was from The Independent. They said that... He had the visage of a rock idol, but with the polish of a Vegas crooner. And I kind of thought the same thing. I'm going, he's got... Yeah, that's a good way to put it. You know, it's a very... It's most eccentric set to date, but he's not really acting wild. He's not going too crazy. He kind of keeps his composure a lot throughout this. And I thought that was kind of like a hard line to straddle, and he he, he did a good job. He let the dancers do the the crazy stuff around him. And he he joined in every now and again, but he, he wasn't having it up as much as he could have which I thought, you know, uh, helped this performance, made an even better performance. I can't recall if he does it for Young Americans, but he probably only plays guitar on Young Americans. Is that, am I right? I'm just guessing when, that. When they do the encore with Sexton, uh, he's uh, he's got some kind of a guitar that doesn't well, that, have a neck. <clears throat> no, it doesn't have a body. I can't remember what those are called. It's uh, basically you string it the, backwards, so the tuning yeah. pegs are right at the okay, body. Okay, because I, I was going to ask, what, how the fuck does that thing work? It's a backwards, <laughs> it's a backwards, uh, yeah, so Bowie, if you ever see a guitar that has no headstock, which is where normally the tuning That's pegs would be. Headstock, yeah. The bridge is where that should be, so picture this guitar, that is the head, and then you tune it up at the body. So oh, this is there. Yeah. In the, he uh, plays a Valentine's Day video. Yeah, and, oh, yeah, and day, in day, day in, day out. He plays it too, yeah. Um, yeah, the Char- you mentioned the Charlie Sexton uh, uh, encore. He does I Want to Be Your Dog and White Light, White Heat. And that is a fin- that's awesome. Charlie Sexton is great. Uh, possibly most recently known for touring with Dylan for Dylan. the last 25 years or something. And he was a part of that Mike Garson uh, the latest the show? Garson show. He did like he sang some of the big songs. He sang "Time" even, which is a huge part of this uh, encore. Yeah, he comes he, down he, from now. <laughs> apparently, they had to cancel "Time" altogether if it was raining out. So if you look at the tour it stats, pretty dangerous. Oh, really? if it, was it was too raining. dangerous to have him way up there. So they, they so but you know in true Bowie fashion, if they couldn't do it like that, they just wouldn't do it. Yeah, I'm not just gonna come yeah. out singing it. And that's a shame for the people that missed out on that song because to me this really fits the "Never Let Me Down" Glass Spider kind of theme. You know, he like it's it's theatrical, it's kind of macabre, he kind of sound. It's a little bit of a Jarethy kind of a number. I kind of think that all kind of works into the Glass Spider theme. You know, it just it sounds like something that kind of fits. And he also kind of he sings the "Take Your Time." He kind of does it in the old Ziggy voice. To me, at least, it felt like a very acknowledged ode or nod to the past. Like he's kind of really acknowledging, like, when he delivers some of those lines with that accent, to me, it's like, I'm going back in time, kind of. Like, And maybe the song's called Time. Maybe I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but it did definitely feel like he was acknowledging his past a lot when he was performing that song. And I was so close to the stage that it took me forever to find, like most of us, we didn't know, where, where is he? We can hear him. <laughs> yeah. like, we can hear him, and and then finally the spotlight 
and follow the spotlight and then you're looking up his nose and then I could see him walking on the uh, the rafters and getting hooked up to come down and it was a neat perspective wow. he had wings or something behind yeah, him yeah metal right? wings yeah. and he posted uh, a picture with those wings years later so they survived. They survived. The spiders did not. No. <laughs> the glass spiders, that is, not the spiders and from and Mars. And they burned them in a field, allegedly. And apparently he was doing, like, a, there's a, you know, like those tarot card decks? Yeah. Apparently that he was, there's one called the Hanged Man, and that's the pose he's doing as he's coming down. It's like a no to oh, Alistair Crowley, apparently. He designed cool. that particular deck. But yeah, those are cool cards. I think, like, Live and Let Die, another yeah. James Bond movie, yeah, right? That's a big go. part yeah. of that. Yeah. yeah. Everything, is, everything comes full circle. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, t- I think time would be like. Uh, I'm struggling to think of, of a highlight. Sons of the Silent Age was one, but there's a bit of a letdown with the chorus, like you were saying with Frampton. I think maybe yeah. I think time probably takes the cake. Not only as a perform, like just for- the audio is great, it sounds great, but I mean, the way he comes down, it, the theatrics are there. That's probably the highlight for me if I had to pick one at the top of my head. Anyway, time is an incredible. Yeah, song. that was probably mine too. <laughs> well, next to the 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 glass spider introduction because that was mind blowing. Yeah, and once again, we kind of you know talked about when we did the record review or whatever you want to call it a record episode. We, we said the intro is a little late. It's not doesn't quite have like the punch of the future legend on Diamond Dogs, but you can see how this made sense for the stage. Like a lot of the, and yeah. Yeah, I guess Bang Bang yeah. was a kind of a revelation for me also recently when I discovered that oh it, that was also meant for the stage maybe a bit more than I realized. But you can really tell Glass Spider was I mean he named the tour after it. Obviously it was going to make more sense in the context of this show. It makes you know what I've always been a defender of this era, and it's probably because I watched this, I, I saw the concert footage before I listened to the album, mm. so I was always very fond of just everything involved in this. What the the theatrics, the I, I like the renditions of the songs. Like, there was one, uh, what what song was it I was listening to where they had, was it Heroes? No, that anyway. But there was like synths playing the horn lines, and there is a trumpet player on tour. But and I, and then I was thinking, like, why aren't those real horns? And I was thinking about, it, I was like, you know, what? I don't even care. It sounds cool, <laughs> and it's different. If I want horns, I'll listen to the version with horns, and yeah, so. This has always kind of been. I've I've defended this this album and this tour like a lot. Yeah. And the crowd cheering in zeros. I don't think that's a crowd. I think that's a that's sense, yeah. right? Yeah. One. Well, right. it, yeah. it almost kind of. You listen to the Never Let Me Down album. There's a lot of gloss, a lot of maybe like over like drum machine synth. Once again, it kind of makes a little bit more sense on the tour. You know, on on the show, like the synths. Instead of some maybe some more like raucous rock sounding things like the synth kind of make more sense in the context of the the stage design and things like that. You can almost kind of see where he was going a little bit more once you you watch the tour. At least I thought. Well, and it's it's funny too because you know it's all perspective. Like people shit on the '80s for synths and overproduction, gated drums, but like what's been huge for the past five years? <laughs> yeah, good point. That so <laughs> like you know, I, and I'm not saying that Bowie was the deaf like probably going like oh i gotta make sure i do what everyone else is doing like conform like that's definitely not bowie's way but in order to sound modern in the 80s you're gonna have to sound like this you know like if he would have come out playing a washboard in the 60s (laughs) it wouldn't have been just just to not sound like the new stuff you know well all of our idols at, at this period as bowie said we all went through a floppy period yeah and i think that while he was he had turned 40 here so they're, they're probably that, am I still a rock star? Do I, do I have to remain hip? What do I got to do here right. to fit in? Yeah. And 
I think it's a hit because he thinks I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to take a chance. He said he was excited to be taking a chance again. And he's doing an artsy tour. Yeah, to, to play these songs and to leave out the songs that he leaves out yeah. of the set list <laughs> on a tour of this magnitude. Can you imagine if the Stones were to put on this type of tour and then not play Satisfaction, <laughs> Brown Sugar, and whatever else, you know? like Or anybody going strong at this point. If you were to leave out those types of hits, you would... Well, the reviews would have been a lot worse yeah, for, for different reasons. There's no space already, no Ziggy. No, nothing from the Ziggy album at all. Wow. Yeah, that's, that takes yeah. guts. And, you know, he kicked out a lot of staples. Like, he was doing a lot of the ones from Low, like, What in the World. Like, yeah, there's a lot of new stuff getting introduced. Those were other highlights for me, too. Like, the newer stuff, seeing Blue Jean. I love Blue Jean Live. I love the Absolute Beginners. Well, like, yeah, we haven't like, talked about Absolute Beginners yet. Mm-hmm. I, I you know what? I watched the movie and I thought, should we do an episode on this? And the, there wasn't enough Bowie to justify a full episode. Like we did Elephant Man, which was like a half hour episode, but that was Bowie. So we had, like, you know. Anyway, I, we'll talk about Absolute Beginners and the best of the '80s because, uh, spoiler and, alert, it's it's making it. Well, I think <laughs> Elephant Man was very necessary too because oh, just totally, it just showcases yeah. his range and like it's not really talked about a lot because it's we we might do a second Elephant Man episode. <laughs> Elephant Man revisited. Elephant Man was pretty incredible. I like, that that was not a that, that's probably one of the toughest roles he ever had. Yeah, I, like, and he did a great job yeah. at it. Yeah, I wish there was a performance somewhere. Yeah, like a yeah. full a full front to back DVD yeah. or that something. That was, you know, and when this was taken down, this uh, last Spider thing was taken down from YouTube, and it's like, okay, so somebody whoever has the rights put in a copyright claim. Well, it's like. Why aren't you putting it out and getting the ad revenue? Like, what? Like, I get that there's licensing and, and like, how do you distribute it and all that, but like, haven't you figured it out? Like, get this out. Like, well, I think it was broadcast on ABC or something. And if you wanted any more incentive, I got it anyway. Well, yeah, <laughs> like, I right. didn't, I didn't buy it. Well, watch it out. I'm not gonna say how. Right. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> I, I almost did that too, but I didn't have time to to watch the whole thing today because it yeah. was this morning and well, I, and I had to like I said because this is my first time watching it so I'm like alright we got a Glass Spider coming up and this is yesterday and I'm like there's like five songs on YouTube that's not enough for me to figure out what this tour is all about I've got to download it well it's been 20 years since the video compilation came up they haven't done anything since <laughs> get it out so, get like, it out all the, the videos he did after that yeah could be added now yeah mm-hmm. right yeah yeah why aren't those out yet you know, it, it, that kind of drives me crazy. I'm thinking, like, I watch the same horrible quality clips of, <laughs> of like, the Beatles at Shea Stadium. It's Why hasn't Shea Stadium been remastered yet? How many times are we going to put out Paul singing Let It Be and telling the story of yesterday with scrambled eggs? Like, I want to see fucking John and George at the keyboard singing I'm Down. It's funny because I just saw that on TikTok the other day and, and people are going wow that's an interesting story so I guess it has a purpose I've but. seen him four times he's told the story all four times the, the, he has the same four stories that he tells Paul, yeah. every time yeah. the Hendrix one he or, didn't know how to tune his guitar he asked me I don't know. Yeah, and he and he's a Beatle, so he can he's not really being that funny, but because he's a Beatle, he can say anything and people will what? laugh and, and you know what if Paul can't brag then nobody can so yeah it doesn't mean you should Something that I thought was interesting is I thought this was like the first time I really noticed like hip hop starting to creep into his slew of like influences. Kind of like during the vignettes, the, the way yeah. they're kind of talking. Well, and like maybe Justin even some was saying moves. with Up the Hill Backwards. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's the method rapping on a Shining Star, but even in some of like, like I said, like the, the vignettes in that, like 
they're doing and they're talking and they're moving in kind of more of a hip hop style. I think this is '87 now, right? So I mean, Public Enemies kind of creeping into the you know the forefront of the make the mainstream. You got like Beastie Boys, LL Cool J, and Bowie was always a, an avid supporter of hip hop. He never he wasn't one of the people that thought it was a fad. He was kind of you know he yeah. respected it as an art form because he can kind of see the the, the expression of it all and. Uh, you can kind of start to see it creep in for the first. There's a lot of firsts on this tour, and I think that's another first. Like he's kind of embracing that culture a little bit more. And I thought that was very interesting. Well, and he put out the best rap song of this century in "Girl, Girl Loves, Loves Me." Me yeah. <laughs> well, and you know what? Like I, I talk about this all the time with Bowie. He's somebody where if you're sequencing a playlist and it's very genre diverse, Bowie's a guy that you can slice in between a lot of artists. Mm-hmm. And I remember when he passed away, like Kendrick Lamar, Danny Brown. Uh, Kanye, like so many of these people were paying their respects to him. Like it was like he he's influenced so many people within that community also. Like he's uh I saw a lot of artists like uh more contemporary pop stars like Lady Gaga. I think Madonna said that this had a huge impact. This particular tour, they said they watched Glass Spider and thought, "Oh, I have a, I, now I know what my to mm-hmm. what what my art is supposed to look like or you know, took inspiration from yeah, it. I was saying that Johnny U2 started really amping up their stadium shows after this, too. Mm-hmm. U2? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, hey, you know what? I think U2's, <laughs> when, when they came well, to they Winnipeg, were just Actually, they were just Joshua Treeing right here. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm remembering, uh, I used to work, one of my first jobs is right outside the stadium where this where the show, this was uh, in, in the 80s, and... Uh, you one of the last big concerts there was U two did a the three sixty tour, they were setting it up and I watched them put it up. It took days and it was basically like the glass spider. Yeah, without the <laughs> oh, yeah, without the right. spider. Yeah. yeah, it was like <laughs> the so. Yeah, they they definitely liked this. <laughs> yeah, we don't really talk about U two. The three of us. I you know what? They're not. I I, I don't mind them. I, I was at well, Pop Mart. I, I got close, pretty close up to the stage for that. Okay. Oh, cool. My take on U two is not seeing them back in that was like twenty eleven they were here or something I should have gone. U two is better than we're all willing to admit because we fucking hate Bono so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean that's just that's you know what I was Johnny and I jammed that you dirty day song before you got here. You know what? I saw something recently. There's this new special out. Letterman and Bono and Edge are doing something, and I, I put it on just in the background the other day and. Bono's being interviewed by Letterman, and he's. They, I he, my ears went up because I heard him say Brian Eno said, and my you know, what <laughs> Brian Eno, and then uh, he said, you know what, like this is Eno talking to Bono, you two shouldn't try to be cool. That's not your. That's not going to be. Yeah, that's not going to yeah, be good yeah. for you. And and Bono said that helped him go. Well, you two does does this and like I'm, uh, you know makes emphasis on what i'm doing right now if you, you can't see me listeners and it made me think you know what if that if you're not focusing on being cool and you're focusing on being you then you know i kind of got a bit of respect for bono after hearing that and i i'm I, this is like a couple days ago i'm going oh do i maybe maybe i don't hate bono maybe i just well, kind of can't stand but the him. problem <laughs> was that he put all that energy into being cool and put it into being righteous which is oh, I think is, yeah. that's the, well right yeah. maybe he should have been cool as opposed to yeah that, but. yeah but the, the, the Eno, he tries the Eno he really thing tries. makes sense because Lanois was Eno's protege right right and, and he's a huge producer and, and he, he right. produced most of their classic records right so yeah, yeah that makes sense Daniel Lanois of Quebec uh, he's he's a Canadian and we're watching the Quebec performance the Quebec performance 
where Bowie's being untied like he was tied up in the Diamond Dogs concert. Oh, and he's bringing back the outfit from 76, which is pretty, you know, he's, so this is a nod to the past. What song is this? Heroes. This is the Heroes. Right, yeah. It it almost, like, seemed like there were, like, uh, military undertones to the video. Like, there's a background video of, like, a guy waving. Was that, like, a soldier going off to war? Like, what was that video? It kind of, it plays on a wall separation. (laughs) Yeah, like, uh, Well, was was that maybe some of, like, the 16 millimeter he shot when he was taking the Trans-Siberian Express? Who knows? I mean, I was really curious about this video because it's, like, a five-second loop and it's a powerful kind of a clip. (laughs) We had talked about what, uh, during that time, whatever episode that was, Johnny, we said, to, in order, if only we could see that footage he oh, took, yeah. because he would have been taking interesting footage. And just have it as the music video for Subterraneans and yeah. Warzawa and that. Right, yeah. Oh my god. That'd be so cool. It'd be beautiful. I yeah. thought somebody used some of it in that fan video of Station to Station. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. Was that, oh, was that his footage, or was that I thought I read that footage? in the comments, I'm, I, don't, I okay. can't verify, but... Yeah. Um, something we haven't mentioned yet. He did a press tour to, to start this tour off. So before they took the whole show on the road, he would do press tours. And it went all over the place, like several countries. One of them was in Toronto, where he would play a few songs for the press. And they'd let a few fans in. Like, you can kind of just walk in. And if you lucked out, you'd get in. Maybe like two, three hundred people. And he would play a song from the new album and talk he would just be and then i I watched one of them it's about a half hour long and he just kind of says all right that was day in day out uh does anybody have any questions yeah and just like and then it starts off really and he's like you know it's crickets they're like what the hell and he's just kind of like looking around smiling i thought that's really interesting i thought what the hell was he doing that for and apparently it was to correct misinformation about what the tour was going to be about that's really interesting that he thought, I better tour and talk to the but press. What did people think the tour was going to They had a misconception. Well, apparently, like, he said something about it's going to be music, art, and sets. And oh, everyone and thought, thought it was sex, sex or something. Yeah. I, I don't know if that was, like, you know, a bit, like, I don't know if that was actually what happened or if that's just mm-hmm. hyperbole. But, yeah. It, so. it made the papers, somebody misquoted him and it made the papers, so it was probably a big enough deal for him to be mindful of it. I thought that'd be, like, that would be the time to see this. He played, it was just songs from the album, and in a tiny little, you yeah, know. Yeah, so he, that's where he was dressed like this, with the black leather and black jeans. Like he, like you see him in Day yeah. In, Day Out. Yeah. And, uh, I remember him doing 87 and Cry at one of them, and it was just, it was really raw, so, but it wasn't, it didn't really look like anything he did on the tour, so. <laughs> Oh, no, it's a totally, it's almost like a different tour. Yeah. Completely. Yeah, and, some of those songs kind of fit the clubs. Like, yeah. 87 and Cry is a great song to be doing in a leather jacket in a small, <laughs> smoky room. Um, yeah, that's a good song. Well, and it, I mean, the, you know, the next thing is Tin Machine. So he's probably in one of these press rooms going, like, I want to be in a grunge band and playing these small places again. So what happened is one of the aides on this tour gave him a tape of her husband, Reeves. A guitar demo tape, yeah. There we go. Guitar demo. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I didn't know that. Yeah, so he's... And she she thought he'd never listen to it. He and does he, his homework. Yeah. <laughs> and then he becomes his... And then, know. yeah, there's, there's an interview of Reeves saying uh, Bowie leaving a message on his head. Can you imagine that? 
I mean, and I mean, Reeves goes on to be his Ronson of the nineties, yeah, or, or more. Like, well, no, I don't want to diminish Ronson because we got to remember that Ronson's it's the unsung hero. It's a different <laughs> it's a dynamic different, because Gabrell's dug him out of a creative rut, whereas Ronson joined when he was kind of taking flight. It's right. they're yeah. they're they're similar in how Equally important. Well put. Yeah. Well put. Yeah. And they come at different times. Yes, almost twice as long. I would have there. Yeah, more than that. Yeah, Reeves. Uh, I, I can't wait to get that's that's next, right? We're, if we're getting into Reeves mm-hmm. Gabrell's territory, um, it's well, let's send him a, a mixtape of this podcast and yeah. see if he responds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, hey, you owe your career to somebody responding. We say everything comes full circle in Bowie's career. We're gonna so get yes. Reeves on. Yeah. Maybe Garson can put in a word for us. Yeah. <laughs> our, our old pal Mikey. <laughs> you're the only. I just realized you're the only non-Mike we've had on the show. We've had four guests: Justin, Mike Munzer, Mike Garson, and Mike Firmer. <laughs> just Jesse and the Johnny and the Mikes. <laughs> That's so weird. Like, what are the odds? There's a lot of names. Podcasting out there. involves micro mics, mic microphones. Everything <laughs> <laughs> oh, comes full circle. <laughs> yeah, um, we don't grade things on this show. I I, I don't like putting a, a a mark on on art. I like you know, I, I mean, I do like to rank things, but that's not grading. That's not saying yeah. something's good well, or bad. Because grading's how much I too listen. report cardy. It is, yeah. And uh, you know, one of our favorite podcasts is Jokerman podcast. They do similar to what we do, but they do Bob Dylan. And uh, they, let's mention Jokerman. We've never mentioned them on the show. I don't think very much. They, they were the inspiration for this yeah. show. Listening to them, they're the talk Velvet Underground Dylan. of podcasts. So you know, <laughs> only a few thousand people know them, but all few thousand of them started the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, they, what, what I love about them is their grading system for albums is a lot more how human beings talk about records. They have a three-star system. Three stars, you think it's a great record. Two stars, you, you dig it. One star, eh, not too hot. And zero stars, you hate it. I mean, why do you, like, Pitchfork does like 6.7. What, what, what's up with it? That's 100% that, on that, the that, scale. 6.7 is like 67 cardy, you know? It's yeah. just not, it's... And, and what kind of consistency are you going to have year to year? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, are you still feeling a six, uh, uh, or even like Anthony Fantano, the needle drop, light, I'm feeling a decent six to, a, or a, a strong six to a light seven on this record. I mean, how, how much consistency are you going to have a decade later? Is that Erdl Kizilke? Uh Yeah, that was yeah. Erdl. Yeah. I, I think he ruined his, 80, his sound in the 80s, personally. Oh, okay. I, I think he was the culprit behind most of it. Well, he cut the the collab too dizzy from the album. All future, so Bowie <laughs> might have agreed with it. Although, you know what? He went on to because he's a big part of the '90s stuff too. Um, I, I think he went to the multi instrumentalist. I remember, and and yeah. I think the flavor when you have one multi instrumentalist, you don't get enough variety from other people, so you're getting the same kind of vibe mm, from different yeah. instruments. Yeah, kind of a monopoly. Like he's got a yeah, he's got a monopoly on the sound, yeah. or too much influence on him. Yeah, here he is playing guitar. That's a really cool guitar too. It's like a Fender makes this cool thing in the Acoustasonic. This looks like a Jackson by the headstock, but it's very similar. It's like an electric looking guitar, but it's acoustic. I imagine they're going to do Young Americans here. If you're following along, yeah, we should have synced up our. We should have told the <laughs> listeners start it, and then we should have just talked through and. Hey, there's something that'd be an interesting episode. Like a uh, dark side of the moon. Start and, it. And put Wizard it on in the back. <laughs> what? Dark, dark side of the moon. Wizard of Oz. I don't You've know. Never what, heard that. No. No, you. You. 
I've never after heard the Dark second, Side of the Moon. <laughs> no. After the second line where you press play, and apparently the whole movie... Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. No, I didn't know that. I'm not a Dark Side of the Moon fan at all. Um, Neither am I. Yeah. But, but now, uh, in that context, I might be. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done it, but it, yeah, it's been a thing for a while. So he's doing Young Americans, and he he introduces it right as this is a song that I think I think he says me and Carlos wrote this or something back in the day. Do you notice that he says that for fame? Also, he says he doesn't mention John Lennon as a, a songwriter. I thought that maybe confirmed my prior suspicion that he only added John Lennon on the songwriting credits just to be like Bowie Lennon. Bowie Lennon. That, how and, you know, John that John didn't add much more than you're like. People have been not given credit and contributed more than I think John Lennon added to fame. Right. And I noticed on this DVD, he says this is the song me and Carlos wrote. He doesn't say John Lennon. John Lennon's dead now, too, so he's, <laughs> he, he didn't mention well, not that, it. Not that John needed it, but... Yeah. We've seen interviews with even Lennon saying, yeah, I was at the studio and say, hey, 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 or something. Yeah. <laughs> now I got a song yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he dug the royalty. I said, hey, th- this song should maybe have a bass on it and gave me the credit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but another song uh, that I thought was enhanced uh, due to like the sequencing was uh, Blue Jean. Because, you know, at the end of Fame, he starts kind of doing this freestyle screaming type thing and apparently he only did that if the crowd was into it yeah yeah (laughs) i read that that's great (laughs) yeah and he's doing like london bridge is falling down and uh what's another side war what is it fame what is it good for absolutely nothing and he's (laughs) kind of he's he's doing a more of an aggressive delivery and he's kind of going like really really aggressive and what i thought was was really important about that was then he does blue jean right after and I don't know about you guys, but I thought that okay, Blue Jean is a song that I really like the verses of. But then when I listen to the record tonight and I hear the song Blue Jean and he starts screaming during the chorus, I just thought that it, it felt like out of place. Because he doesn't really have that kind of energy anywhere on else that, on the record. On that album, yeah. But then he does this kind of more aggressive uh, style of, of rendition of fame. And then he right does Blue Jean after. And yeah. I'm like, oh, this, this, fuck, this. The sequencing's it, really good. Like it, it really revved up for Blue Jean. Yeah, and I'm kind of going like, you know what? This is another song that was enhanced by I think the sequencing and the stage and all that. I really enjoyed the performance of Blue Jean much more than the record uh, version, and I thought that was probably the main reason. Is it just it, the sequencing was a lot better? His first chance to tour it too. There was no Tonight tour, so he does. Yeah, Blue Jean and Loving the Alien. Because you know, Blue Jean's a song that has a, a cool atmosphere during the verse. It's, it's a cool song. Yeah. And then he just starts screaming in the chorus, and I, it just felt a little awkward on the record, I thought, but it, its placement on the tour, I, I, I fell in love with it. And uh, yeah, it was a highlight for me. Blue Jean and Fame were two, two other highlights for me, for sure. If, if we're going with the Joker Men system of rating, just for this one episode, this gets a, I, I think, unanimous. This is a three, is it not? Oh, for, yeah. for, as far it, as tours it, go, like a, like absolutely love it. It's a feast for the senses. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah three. No, that's I'm three out of three. I'm feeling a eight point eight. No, yeah, it's a, <laughs> yeah. yeah, just call it. Yeah, it's right. Just call it. I love this. Like it's yeah. great. And what made you go with the point eight? I, I want to know what song brought well, you to that. Well, yeah, some things it, it beats the things I gave an eighty-seven percent, <laughs> but it's not quite. You know, there's a few things that I have eighty-nine percent on that I think it's like, no, come on, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> Yeah, three stars. I, uh, should we start doing that going forward? 
Well, you know what? We talked about that, and we said it's boring with Bowie though because it's all great. Three, 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 two, three, three, two, 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 three, three, one, three, three, or whatever it is, something like that. There might be one, one, but I'm not even sure. Yeah, there's. Well, and even them, they do Bowie and Lou Reed, and I mean, Bowie or they do Dylan and Lou Reed and John Cale. They don't have many one star records either. I don't think. There's a lot of two star stuff at worst in those catalogs, also. All right. Anything else before we wrap up? Nothing. No, that was great. It was a wonderful experience to be a 14-year-old kid, and uh, I'm glad people are still talking about it in 2023. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. 23 plus 20. I think it's 23 years from 2000. So it's... Is this 40... Tony's going to math, math it's 40, up for 46 years later? Am I getting that right? Uh, no, it's th- 36, 36 years later. Yeah, I know. I was I didn't. born in 89. Yeah. Um, there's something about outdoor concerts, too. Like, even, like, our dad was, you know, outside the state. I saw my first uh, concert, or I shouldn't say saw. My first concert experience was listening to a concert outside Winnipeg Stadium. I was closer than dad was for Blast Spider. I was at, to- <laughs> I was at Toys R Us parking lot, which is between the two. Well, didn't grandma bring you? Gra- grandma brought me to see the Rolling Stones. How cool is my grandma? I was like five <laughs> or six. Yeah. Well, let's seriously talk about how cool our grandma was because my dad, or our dad, and uh, our uncle Chris, they tried to like scare her off with the song called Plast Out Patricia by Ian Dury and the Blockheads. And you know the opening line of that song? Ah, yeah. oh, souls, bastards, fucking cunts and pricks. She asked him to play it again after they came <laughs> on. And she also liked uh, Mama, We're All Crazy Now by Slade. Uh, she was really hip, you know. She was really old when all this shit came out, but it, it took a lot to offend her. I thought that's pretty amazing for somebody she her age. She took me to see Rocky Horror Picture Show in the theater <laughs> when I was about 9 or 10. And we were surrounded by punks with mohawks and safety pins in their face, and they're all giggling at us thinking we're there for Bambi or something we went to the wrong room <laughs> and then she'd be whispering now they're gonna throw rice <laughs> here comes the toilet paper she took she took me and Miles to see Spawn and we were like seven and eight <laughs> and, and apparently like our parents were like watching something on TV like you know grandma's taking them out like let's whatever they're hanging out and like they saw a commercial for the movie that we they are their kids just got taken to see and they all just like looked at each other like what? I took Dylan to that. He was too young too. He's younger. Than He's you. younger than me. Yeah. yeah. And whenever they went to hell, <laughs> it, Dylan would cover his face with his shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and he went to hell like ten times in that movie. I don't remember much from it. I I, I should rewatch that now like 25 years later or whatever i feel like we the family owes a lot to her we're a very music oriented family if you couldn't tell and yeah. uh it kind of started with her she yeah, was always yeah. yeah and she was into music you know she liked the uh, what's that song we'll meet again you know she was into the classic stuff from her age but she she embraced the beatles and things like that and she embraced all this other stuff and it was uh I she embraced like we, everything technology like she was on facebook <laughs> like how many 90 year olds she had were a commodore vic 20 yeah, Nintendo a Pac-Man 64. champion. Yeah, she would be downstairs playing video games. Like we'd go over. Where's Grandma? Oh, she's downstairs <laughs> she's playing. Yeah, packing, we'd call it. Yeah, packing, <laughs> playing Mario. 
Anyway, we digress. Uh, thanks for listening to the Glass Spider Tour episode. This has been a lot of fun, and I'm not going to stop listening and watching this anytime soon because it's no. great. Well, like I said on Twitter, I was going, I'm so glad that we got the Glass Spider episode to do because I was not done with Never Let Me Down. You know, we, we do these episodes, and you'd think that we'd get sick of it. You play an album all day for a couple weeks or whatever. I was not ready to put Never Let Me Down down yet i was like this is a pretty great record i want to keep playing it so being able to (laughs) so being able to do this episode uh prolonged the never let me down portion of our voyage and uh, i'm I'm grateful for that so this will be our last proper episode of the 80s season we'll do our wrap-up next time that's uh the we best can, of the 80s we could talk about some of those non-out like absolute beginners we can maybe actually do a proper yeah there will analysis. be a there will be a yeah there'll be a few that'll be a part of the the list the playlist our best of the 80s playlist and there'll be a, maybe a few honorable mentions that will just toss some names out and songs that maybe deserve them. a couple minutes to talk about we'll do that uh that'll be next time justin thanks for joining us once again that yeah. was fantastic guys it was a lot of fun i'm jesse i'm justin And I'm John. We will see you next time on The Best of the 80s. Thanks for listening.